which, you know, we don't know for sure, but we think it was written by Jesus' half-brother named James. It challenges that our faith would be lived out, not just words that we say or even thoughts that we think. James says faith without works is dead. And perhaps we can imagine the early church at this time who were in a very small majority, minority of the culture, would have struggled to figure out how do I live out my faith when literally no one else out in the world does it. Perhaps we, as Christians in our world, feel like this from time to time. However, the culture around us has some things to say about what they think about Christians. This is from a USA Today article that literally just came out, I think, within days. When non-religious people describe Christians these days, these are the words that they use. Hypocritical. Judgmental. Self-righteous. And then to follow, arrogant, unforgiving, and disrespectful. Friends, I think we have some work to do. The book of James in the first chapter, the Bible Project tells us, the first chapter covers all of the topics that we will study over the following chapters. We're only going to cover part of the first chapter today, but if you want to, you can get ahead, watch the Bible Project video, and read the entire chapter. As I read James, and as we talk about it, think in your mind, what does James teach us about what lasts and what doesn't? And I'm going to pray for us. Lord God, your word tells us that if we lack wisdom to ask you for it and you are generous to give to us, you do not find fault with us. And so, Lord, whether people are watching online or they are here this moment or they are watching this in the months to come, Lord God, I pray that you would give us wisdom to understand who you really are, that you would point us to the things that last and that we would make decisions accordingly. Amen. Now, James does not read like a typical New Testament letter. If you read through it, you might feel frustrated because it's not very linear. As an English major, it's not written very succinctly or in order. It kind of feels disjointed. And that's because it is like wisdom literature. It reads more like the book of Proverbs, which is a book in the Bible that basically has what I would consider pithy phrases that are kind of like, honestly, da 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 so as you read James, keep in mind the type of literature. It is a letter, but it is probably also a series of topics and truths that James, the leader of the Jerusalem church at this point, has gathered to disseminate amongst different people groups. So James 1.1, and I am going to read out of N.T. Wright's version today. It might not follow yours, but just hang with me, okay? Help me, Lord. James is at the back of your Bible, right before Peter's letters. James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, to the 12 dispersed tribes, greetings. Okay, the 12 dispersed tribes, the church is scattered at this point. And the 12 tribes refer to the 12 sons of Jacob, if you've ever heard Jacob in the Amazing Technicolor, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I referred to that a few weeks ago, actually. It's actually quite biblically, like, honest. I love it. So the 12 tribes were built from these 12 sons. That's the history of Israel. James chapter 1, uh, continuing in verse 2. 
My dear family, when you find yourselves tumbling into various trials and tribulations, learn to look at it with complete joy because you know that when your faith is put to the test, what comes out is patience. The context is this minority people group, they were known as people of the way. They were little Christs. They were like Jesus. They were suffering. They suffered in the economic realm. People didn't like them, and so they didn't get their business. They suffered if they were in a household and someone else who followed a different way didn't like what they were doing, they suffered. They suffered because they did not honor the governmental leaders of that day. And James is saying, consider it joy. Joy even in the face of trials. Continuing in verse 4. What's more, you must let patience have its complete effect so that you may be complete, or some of your versions say mature and whole, not falling short in anything. What strikes me about this is that patience takes time, which is exactly what you hate when you are struggling with patience. (laughs) You cannot rush patience. You cannot rush maturity. My daughter's been saying June feels like it's been forever because she has things in July that she's looking forward to. You can't rush time. You just have to wait. In English, it says we are to let perseverance have its effect. Or here it says you must let patience have its complete effect. I don't know about you, but let is just hard. Let go and let God right? Let it go. It's the unfurling of the grips of our hands. It's the deep breaths when you're in traffic. It's the not being anxious when things are happening that you wish didn't. It says that perseverance will produce fruit in you. We will be complete and whole, mature, not lacking anything. Verse 5, but if one of you falls short in wisdom, they should ask God for it and it will be given them. God, after all, gives generously and ungrudgingly to all people. But they should ask in faith with no doubts. A person who doubts is like a wave of the sea, which the wind blows and tosses about. Someone like that should not suppose they receive anything from the Lord, since they are double-minded and unstable in everything they do. So we will fall short. I love that James says, if you do this, you won't lack anything. But if you happen to lack something, ask God for it. Other versions say God gives generously without finding fault. When you come to God with a request, he's not there pointing out all the reasons why you don't deserve what you're asking for. Jesus says that the enemy is the accuser. God is the judge and he may convict you of some things, but he's not poking you and shaming you. And then there's this section, but when we faith, when we pray, we should have faith. And I think this section is what reads like wisdom literature. It doesn't mean that when you doubt, you're never going to get anything from the Lord because all of us doubt. There's a story with Jesus and a man needs healing and he says, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
It also talks about here when we pray, when we ask God, the verb in the Greek actually means to keep on asking. It's not like you ask once, you get wisdom, and that's like you use your ticket up and you can't ask again. It's that we should keep asking because God gives generously. Going on in verse 9. Brothers and sisters who find themselves impoverished or poor should celebrate the fact that they have risen to this height. And those who are rich, that they are brought down low, since the rich will disappear like a wild flower. You see, the rich will be like the grass. When the sun rises with its scorching heat, it withers the grass so that the flower droops. And all its fine appearance comes to nothing. That's what it will be like when the rich wither away in the midst of their busy lives. Now, I want to point out something here because I sometimes think that we read these passages and we think we are the church looking out on the world. Look at this, the flowers. I mean, this must be like when Jesus preached, right? He's like, look at the flowers, look at the grass, Um, look at the rich. But this is a letter written to people who are following Jesus or who claim to follow Jesus. We're not worried about the world right now. We're talking about the church. So if you, as you follow Jesus, look to wealth as something that will last or finances who will fix your problems, you're going to be disappointed. And your reputation that you think is built on your wealth or you who don't have any and wish for the day that you do have some and think that is when you will arrive, he actually says, let's flip that script. And if you are poor and struggling, you can celebrate that. Sometimes people call Jesus's kingdom the upside down kingdom and I think this would be an example. God's blessing is on the man who endures testing, verse 12. When he has passed the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God's promises will last. Verse 13, nobody being tested should say, well, it's God that's testing me. For God cannot be tested by evil, and he himself tests nobody. Rather, each person is tested when they are dragged off and enticed by their own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. When sin reaches maturity, gives birth to death. Don't blame God when it's your evil desires that are tempting you. That's not God. And it's not fair, actually, because it says God is not tempted by evil. So I'm not a Greek scholar, but I'm going to try to teach you all some Greek right now, okay? In the beginning of the chapter, it talks about trials. When you face various trials, consider it all joy. And then in this section in the English, it'll say temptation. Now, I got a bone to pick, and one of my first questions when I get into heaven is going to be asking Jesus about the people who interpreted the Bible and translated it in English, but that's another time topic. In this section, both are the same word. Somehow in the English, we decided one would be testing and one would be temptation. But in Greek, it's the same thing. When you face various temptations and you overcome it, consider it joy. Yes, I didn't fall into that. 
When you face a challenge and you don't get down in the dumps and you don't complain and you don't get anxious and instead you have joy, you can celebrate that. When you are tempted with various things, don't get whiny and complain to the Lord. Deal with your crap. Get community. Be honest about it. And then consider it joy because you are growing up. James 1.16 says, do not be deceived, my dear family. God doesn't give you temptations. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. His steady light doesn't vary. It doesn't change and produce shadows. God does not change. God does not waver. God lasts. Do not be deceived. Do not let your thinking be changed by whatever you might hear. And it might be people that say they love Jesus. (laughs) Ask God. Look to his word for what the truth is. Do not be led astray. Do not be severed from the truth. Do not blame God for the evil in the world. Does he allow it? I believe he does, and that's another sermon for another time. But I do not believe, based on the scriptures, that he causes the evil in the world or the temptations. In fact, James would say, that's my problem. (laughs) When I'm tempted with something, that's my own. Like, I need the therapy, and I need community, and I need to do some Bible study, and I need to do some work. God is the giver of good things. What does James say to us? God does not change. God gives generously. God does not find fault. God wants us to love him. God wants us to believe him and trust him. But the misconceptions are God tempts us. God God finds fault with us. And God is not generous. James says God and his word lasts. And we should ask accordingly. Believe accordingly. There is grace enough for us. There is truth enough for us. Do not be deceived. I think that a wrong view of God is where James wants us to start this letter. And deal with it so that we can have a right picture of who God is. So that our good works come from a place of joy and gratitude and grace. Are you putting your your faith in things that do not last? That your job or your job will get easier. Or you're going to make more money. Or you're going to get married. Or you're going to get remarried. Or your children will be joyful today instead of having the tantrums. Or the upcoming elections, or that we will figure out how to stop polluting our rivers. Eugene Peterson writes a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which I think James would have been a fan of. It talks about following Jesus as a journey, not a quick vacation where you come back and you're like, oh, I feel so much better. Now I can function again for the next nine months. Peterson says that a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find motivation to start out on the Christian way. Because sometimes following Jesus is not easy. I invite you today to be disgusted with the world. All right, I got to take her. I 
invite you to be disgusted with the way that we are told that our world in the United States is polarized. Is anybody ready for something else? Perhaps something that will last. I invite you today to repent, to believe, and then to do what the word says. The first step in following Jesus in the gospels is almost always to repent, to change directions, to change your mind. What are the lies that you are believing right now about God? What are you putting your faith in that will not last? That doesn't last? I have had this thought a lot lately. When I wake up in the morning or when I go to bed at night that I just want more sleep. And then I'm reminded that yes, my body needs sleep and rest. I preached about that a month ago, okay? But I don't really need sleep. I need Jesus. We cannot stand firmly on things that don't last. Jesus has a whole parable about this. Don't build your house on sand. Even the love in your family, which seems impenetrable, will break down on the tiredest and crabbiest moments. Amen? <laughs> that job you, seem, you have that seems so secure until the CEO dies and they have to sell the company off. The plans for your future seem so definite until you get that health diagnosis. You buy a house that you think your kids are going to graduate in, and there's a park behind, and it's lovely, and then God calls you to plant a church in Mankato. <laughs> People say the only thing we can count on is death and taxes. Is this a way to live, friends? No. God gives us another way. So today, on this weekend of freedom, everybody, I will say to you boldly that some of you are not free, and myself included. We aren't free. We lie to ourselves that we are. And do you know how I know we're not free? How addicted are we to our phones? Coke, the soda. Sorry. Maybe y'all are addicted to Coke. I don't know. No judgment here today. Look at how much we complain about the world. Is anyone content? Yes, there are some. Praise the Lord. So repent from looking to someone or something or a bank account or a political agenda or person or worldview that will not last. James gives us an alternative. God and God's word last forever. And I invite you to believe that today. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe you're watching online and it's January 5th. God promises a crown of life for those who love him. And may I also remind you, and I say this often, it is not your faith that saves you because sometimes we waver and doubt and we are those waves. It is not your faith that saves you. Do you know this? Jesus saves you. Okay? It's who you put your faith in that saves you. I can't garner up enough faith some days. And the word says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So if you feel like, gosh, Sandy, I'm trying, I just can't, that's because you're looking at yourself. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. And if these things are true, do what the word says. When you face various trials, choose joy. If you feel like you're lacking wisdom, ask him for some. 
Don't value your wealth. It's going to fade like the crops when there isn't enough rain. Be joyful if you have a low position at work, in your finances, if you feel like the impoverished. And frankly, if you see those who are in low conditions, let's not judge them and think that they're lazy. Perhaps we could have this mindset and elevate them. Don't blame God for your temptations or your trials. And buckle up for the rest of James because he's going to crawl into your pocketbooks and into your brain and into your heart and possibly your ballot, your relationship with your kids, your marriage, your neighborhood, and your calendar. Let's pray. God, help us. That sun is burning on my neck, and I have a feeling that that's how the book of James is going to feel. It's going to be hot. Jesus, uh, we invite you as Rosa Parks community to crawl into our business. Lord, this isn't just an individualistic mindset where we can just choose, but Lord, we corporately also need to repent of the ways that we have looked to maybe a location or maybe a certain leader or even Crossview Howard Drive that will help keep us afloat when, Lord, we need to tether ourselves to you. Lord God, the things that do not last in this world, we want to turn away from and we want to choose, God, that you give generously that you are good, that you promise that crown of life for those of us who love you, that you give generously to us and you do not find fault. And Lord, would you empower us through your Holy Spirit to do what your word says? God, thank you for these men and women, these children who are part of Rosa Parks and help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We need you, Jesus. Amen.